Yeah, so I'm Cassidy, and this is Taylor. Um, six and a half years ago, Taylor and I took a leap towards marriage. We signed up for something called pre-engagement counseling, not pre-marriage, pre-engagement. So the point of pre-engagement counseling is to learn about each other as you're learning about yourself. Our campus pastors at Central, Tony and Melissa Wind, when were assigned to meet with us. Um, they met with us every other week for 10 weeks. We had to read a book, we had to read some articles, we had to answer questions, we had to ponder life's big questions, and we had to do it separately. Then we got to come together and discuss our thoughts and our answers. I remember one particular chapter in a book called Sacred Search by Gary Thomas on marriage styles. There was a little quiz at the end of the chapter and we had to take the quiz alone. And the book said that for a marriage to be successful, a couple had to share at least one of the nine marriage styles. I remember taking the quiz and being really nervous that Taylor and I would end up on totally different wavelengths. Taylor and I met up and we, we pulled out our results and much to our great relief, we shared two of the nine marriage styles. Whew. <laughs> oh, that was a stressful day. Um, those 10 weeks were pretty excruciating um, because at the beginning of the process, we had agreed that if our campus pastors thought that we either needed to wait or that it was unwise for us to get married, um, we would break up. Very stressful. <laughs> I remember as we um, were going through those 10 weeks, I remember getting, um, just feeling more and more dread um, as we were going because I really, really didn't want to break up and I really wanted to marry Taylor. Week 10 arrived and the verdict was delivered. Tony and Melissa recommended that we get married. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, yep. Um, so those 10 weeks were really difficult. We talked about um, a lot of uncomfortable things. Uh, we had a lot of conflict in the process. But we came out on the other side so confident in our decision to marry each other. Was it going to be perfect? No. Were we going to have struggle spots? Yes. Did I have a lot more conversations with Melissa after we got married? Yes. <laughs> Today, Taylor and I are celebrating our sixth anniversary. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that we got married. I'm, I'm so thankful for a life partner like Taylor. When I look back and think about all the things that we've had to work through and talk through, I am so glad I didn't know what it was gonna be like ahead of time. I'm so glad that we just got to walk through it one day at a time with each other. Yeah, so like Cassidy said, um, <clears throat> our pre-engagement counseling was a time of frustration and fear and even a little suffering. Um, but we had the benefit of knowing what our suffering was for. If we made it through, we'd get married. Have you ever experienced a season of suffering that you knew was for a purpose? Maybe it was a temporary job, you needed to make some extra money, um, or maybe on a lighter note, you wanted to try a new restrictive diet or a workout routine to lose some weight. Uh, we've probably all experienced this kind of hardship, right? It's maybe called delayed gratification as opposed to instant gratification. Last week, Karen shared a video 
of a woman named Kathy sharing her experience of being wrongfully imprisoned. And this woman showed remarkable faith. Um, she assumed that it was that her suffering in prison was for a greater purpose. And this is a different kind of suffering. Uh, Kathy didn't willingly submit herself to prison. She was forced into that suffering. She had no idea if things were going to turn out or if there's a greater purpose for it all. And, you know, we've been reading through the Joseph story this summer, learning from him what it means to trust God. In his story, we see a man who suffers for a time, a long time, but ultimately receives a reward and is able to bless others, not in spite of his suffering, but because of it. By this time, we probably know how the story ends. Joseph has been sold into slavery in Egypt. He gets wrongfully imprisoned, but it ends up being the perfect place to be because who does he meet when he's in prison but someone with a very close connection to the king of Egypt? And he's able to leverage that connection to save the entire nation from famine. Great. Let's pray together before we read our scripture this morning. Um, Dearly Father, I just lift up this Sunday morning to you as we've gathered together as a church body to um, hear from you um, and to, to get to know you better. And um, yeah, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us, um, prepare our hearts um, with whatever you want to say to us, Lord, and, and speak through Taylor and I, Lord, and help our words be set aside and only your words um, be brought forward, Lord. In your name, amen. So we're going to read Genesis. So if you guys, if you have your own Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 50. We're going to wrap up the Joseph story this week. So we're going to read in Genesis 50, um, starting in verse 15 through 21. So Karen read this last week, and she talked about forgiveness, how Joseph forgave his brothers. We're going to read this section again, and this time, let's think about this as the final moments of Genesis. So this is the last chapter of Genesis. If this book has a moral or a final point to share, this is where it's going to be. So see if you can catch what the author of the entire book of Genesis is wanting you to get out of it. Okay? So let's start in verse 15. Chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of, God, of the God of your father. So we're going to pause here for just a second. Um, there's a dynamic happening that I think is helpful to point out. So think back with me to an earlier story in Genesis, the story of Jacob and Esau. If you think back to that story, you might see some similarities. So Jacob is Joseph's dad, and that makes Esau Joseph's uncle. So in the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob cheats Esau out of his inheritance, and he's really sneaky and unfair about it. So Esau wants to kill Jacob because of this. And it says in Genesis 27, verse 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, 
The days of mourning for the death of my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So when Joseph's brothers think about, what they're thinking about is that because their father is dead, Joseph is going to kill them. They're actually referring back to this story of Jacob and Esau. So it's a hyperlink. It's a link. It's like supposed to remind you of this story. So ancient Jewish readers, when they read this story, they would have immediately thought of Esau. So let's read on and see if Joseph's response is like Esau or if it's different. So starting again in verse 17. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. So already different. His brothers then came and threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. In verse 19, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You, are in, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In verse 21, so then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph's line here, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, is the key to the whole story. So this is actually really, it's the key to the whole book of Genesis, if you're going to read straight through the whole book of Genesis. Um, this last winter, I got to take a uh, Bible Project class. Is anybody familiar with Bible Project? No? Maybe so? Okay, so Bible Project is a really helpful resource on YouTube. You can look it up. Um, it's mostly short videos explaining the Bible, and then also they have an amazing podcast. Um, and they also started recently offering free online Bible classes. So this last winter, I got to take their Hebrew Bible class. Um, and it was so helpful in reading the Bible, and especially reading the Old Testament. Um, one of the concepts that Tim Mackey, the teacher, teaches is that when you read the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, um, you have to read it like it's a mosaic. So each story is unique, but each story is also contributing to a bigger picture. So throughout the Old Testament, there's these things called hyperlinks. So these little um, reminders throughout the Old Testament of each connecting you to the bigger mosaic, this bigger story. Um, and ultimately, all of these stories in the Old Testament in Genesis, um, they're pointing you to one thing. Um, and Joseph's story is no different. So I want to highlight a couple things that the Joseph story is pointing us to. Um, so the first thing that Joseph is pointing us to is that Joseph completes the Abrahamic blessing. So if you're familiar, think back with me to Genesis 12. So the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Joseph blesses another nation through God's blessing him with wisdom and knowledge. 
He does what we're all supposed to do, and he saves lives. Joseph is pointing us to the ultimate saver of lives, Jesus, the ultimate person who will be the Abrahamic blessing to the world. Joseph blesses a nation. Jesus blesses the world. The second thing that Joseph corrects is the estranged brother narrative of Esau and Jacob, like I mentioned before. So Esau, sorry, sorry, not Esau, Joseph's brothers expected him to take revenge, and he doesn't. He is countercultural. The culture around him would have expected that he would take revenge, but he chose to close the loop with grace. Another reflection of Jesus. Joseph does not give his brothers what they deserve. He offers grace. And finally, I want to point out that this story of Joseph is a gospel story. Joseph plays the role of the forgiving priest. He's also, uh, this is a, a big concept in the Old Testament, he is the snake crusher. So think back to the beginning of Genesis all the way, Genesis 3, 14 through 15. It says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So we know that the ultimate snake crusher is Jesus. But before Jesus, certain characters in the Bible foreshadow him. They're never quite like the perfect snake crusher, though Joseph comes pretty close. The snake crusher is someone who ultimately defeats death, whether that's physical, relational, spiritual, but has to taste death in the process. So Joseph is thrown into a pit, an actual literal pit, and into prison. But in the end, he rises up and saves many lives. He crushes the snake. Joseph's story is supposed to give us hope, to remind us that we are part of this gospel narrative of bringing life in the face of death. So Joseph sees the big picture the whole time. Whatever people were intending for evil, God intended for good. So what is the point of the Joseph story? I think the point is the saving of many lives. I want to repeat our focus verse um, for this week. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Take a look with me um, at this verse from the New Testament. It's Romans 8, 28. It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Sounds pretty similar. And this leads us to talk about another thing that Joseph's story does for our theology. Joseph, like many, many, many others, points toward an ideal hope, a hope that looks like a human being who will willingly undergo suffering for the sake of a greater cause. Why is suffering a part of this equation? As Cassidy was talking about on page three of our Bibles, 
a snake crusher is mentioned. This is a seed, the seed of a woman, a human being, that will crush the snake that represents evil and ultimately death itself. But he won't crush the head of the snake without first being bitten by it. We see Joseph as a snake crusher, and he definitely gets bitten before doing the crushing. Joseph, however, doesn't die for the sake of the people that he saves. He only has to suffer through imprisonment, which is a big deal. Uh, like many other stories throughout the Bible, Joseph points to Jesus. If Joseph wrongfully suffers only to be risen up to supreme authority and given the ability to administer blessing to the people, he does so on a relatively local level. He saves a nation from potential extinction, yes. But Jesus wrongfully suffered to be risen up to the ultimate supreme authority and is given the ability to administer blessing to the whole universe. Philippians 2, 8 through 10 perfectly summarizes what happens here. Being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." You see how Joseph's life foreshadows the snake crusher human that Jesus will ultimately perfect. One of my favorite areas in the New Testament is in the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, in chapter 11, the author recounts a list of so-called heroes of the faith. Many of them showed like one moment of great faith uh, through their whole life, but they get mentioned nonetheless. And Joseph gets a shout out in this list. Um, the author writes how Joseph, by his faith, knew that his family would come to follow their God and inhabit the land God had promised to them. And at the end of this list of the top 16 men and women from the Old Testament, um, the author says they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised because God had something better planned. And a few verses later in chapter 12, the author of Hebrews says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As Cassidy said, Joseph got close. He sat down at the right hand of Pharaoh, who was considered Egypt's God incarnate. But Jesus sat down at the right hand of the God who created all things. And I, at this point, you might be thinking, cool, and why does this matter? <laughs> well, let's return to a verse that we looked at a few moments ago, Romans 8, 28. It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If we read one verse further, we see Paul says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Let's unpack that. God works for the good of those who love him to be conformed to the image of his son, to look like Jesus. 
And let's look again at Philippians 2, a few verses prior to where we read. In your relationships with one another, have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see that the life of receiving God's blessing and sharing in God's glory is also the life of self-sacrificial suffering for the sake of others? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, Paul says. Be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is how the beautiful plan of human redemption works. We're given Joseph as an example for how powerful God's design works in our world. And for ancient Near Eastern readers, their goals of economic and geographical conquest were accomplished via assertion and aggression, which is kind of similar to today's world where every voice in our society is constantly teaching you how to crush your goals or find success. Um, It's all about taking charge and being the master of your destiny and claiming what's yours. And this isn't wholly bad, but it's not really the story the Bible's telling. It's not a very intuitive idea in our culture or in theirs to say, our God demoted himself and willingly got humiliated and died. But Paul talks about this process as the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 through 9, he says, We declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Here's the key. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it's written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has has heard, and what no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. Our world, the ideologies, the leaders, the spiritual authorities, they are fundamentally opposed to the wisdom of God, which is the suffering servant. Yeah, I think we all um, want to hear that our suffering is only temporary, and that if we suffer long and hard enough, we will eventually experience the blessing, and that may be true. Ultimately, though, the story of Jesus is that he had to wait until he died to experience the blessing. The truth is that we trust God that our suffering will lead to God receiving glory. And that's what it all points towards. We join Jesus in his suffering for the saving of many lives. So if you go back to my earlier story about our pre-engagement counseling Um, Before we even got started, we wanted to bring God glory. So we, therefore, were willing to submit to a time of necessary suffering, pre, maybe even having to break up if our pastors thought that was wise for us to do. And now we reap the reward because we started in a place of putting his intentions for our lives first. We benefit Matthew, our son, and our next baby will benefit, and the students we minister to benefit. Um, Taylor and I benefited so much from watching Tony and Melissa's marriage. 
They taught us what a godly marriage looks like without even having to use words because of how they spoke to each other, treated each other, spoke about each other, always choosing to honor one another. They modeled Jesus through their marriage. Jesus is the center for them. Their marriage brings him glory. And that's the story of Joseph. Joseph chose to trust and follow God first in all areas of his life. And that's the story of Jesus. He chose to obey and follow his father's will in all areas of his life. And that is what we are called to do as Christ followers. Lay aside our own desires and choose to trust and follow our Savior. So Joseph often chose the hard road, the countercultural road. His life looked really different from his brothers. Um, in Romans 8:17, it says, "If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may share in His glory." So Joseph joined Jesus in his sufferings, and he also shared in Jesus' glory. So the big question this morning is, are you ready to be like Joseph, to join Jesus in his sufferings? How are you joining Jesus in his mission to save lives? So Joseph saved a whole nation, and that's not really in the cards for most of us, and that's okay. Um, but we all have family members and friends who need undeserved grace extended to them. Remember how Joseph extended countercultural grace to his brothers. He broke a generational cycle of family disunity. Also remember how Joseph said no to sexual temptation. Um, Joseph was unwise as a teenager um, when he bragged about his dreams. He's not perfect. But he really is one of the few Old Testament characters that you can really get behind and follow his example. Um, for me, one way I join Jesus in his mission to save lives is in my words about others. Um, I've been really convicted lately to show grace to people I disagree with or who bother me. I think it's really easy to get bitter and bring death with our words. I feel challenged to let go of bitterness in my own heart. Um, one of the things I love is Scandinavian parenting books. <laughs> um, I deeply resonate with that style of parenting. Um, one of the things that Scandinavians are really good at is intentionally teaching their children empathy. So whenever their kid comes home upset with another kid at school, um, parents ask questions about why that kid might have acted that way. They get to the root of emotions, helping their kids see the potential all the different sides to the story. Um, one book I really love is called The Danish Way of Parenting. Um, and I'm just gonna read a section to you guys um, that just like really stood out to me recently. Um, they said, the author said, Practicing, practice understanding others instead of shaming them. You'll be amazed how often you are judging others and what a difference it makes to find a reason to defend them by putting yourself in their shoes. This really is putting empathy into practice. Help your child see others' emotions as well as experiencing his, his emotions without imposing your judgment. Sally was angry. Why was she angry? What happened? What do you think about what happened? Not, she shouldn't have been angry and done that. 
Um, reading this book has really helped me practice empathy more, as well as wanting to teach our kids empathy. I think that we can save lives with Jesus by being people who strive to see all the sides to the story. When you see all the sides, it's easy to extend grace to others. So I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Jesus. Our goal today is to let these Old Testament stories that we have been reading inspire us to be more like Jesus. Join him in the saving of many lives. Be a part of that story. Set aside your own story and join Jesus. Go where Jesus is going. I'm going to welcome up Karen to lead us in one final song, um, and I'm going to close in prayer. So Lord Jesus, um, we thank you for revealing the plan to us um, that all of these stories point to. God, we thank you that you've uh, shown us that um, really it's, it's everyone else that joins your story, not you that join our story. Um, God, I pray that these scriptures that we've heard today as we reflect on Joseph's life, um, the faith that he showed, the compassion he showed his brother, um, the ability to see the big picture. Um, God, would you help that to point us to the, the perfecter of that way of living, Jesus? Would you help us to become conformed to the image of Christ? Would you help us to have the mindset of Christ Jesus? We pray these things for us uh, today and this week and going forward. Amen.